Super Talk Mississippi media production. In the Mississippi Legislature, Senate Bill 2145 funds health care for illegal immigrants. Call your legislator today at 601-359-3770. Ask them to stop Senate Bill 2145. It's not too late. You can help stop this. Paid for by Building America's Future. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. We are here. It is the day after the President's State of the Union address. You told me you didn't make it too far through it, huh? No, I uh, I got fed up with listening to him <laughs> misread the poor speechwriter's attempts at making him sound halfway cognizant. Hmm. I made it about to where he started lying about the price of insulin, and then I decided to find the prepared remarks on my own, and I was done with it before he was. Yeah, I caught that discussion as well uh, regarding insulin and noted that there were some, shall we say, untruths included in those statements, as there were in most of what he said during the State of the Union. It was a rather lengthy one, was not? Now, I haven't... It was about par for the course. Was it? Okay. It just... Maybe it was because it was um, so disconcerting while I was viewing it that it just seemed to linger on forever and ever. And, yeah, I was getting mad by the minute. I don't know that I've ever seen a president deliver a State of the Union speech, maybe not a speech in in any capacity, that was so pro-central planning socialism, big government, anti-free market capitalism, anti-freedom, anti rugged individualism and individual liberty as that one last night. I was appalled. It was replete with lies, distortions, and lots of just silly red meat rhetorical sound bites that I know are designed to fire up his base and his loyal supporters, and they were fawning all over it. Whoa, my gosh. But the other thing was the delivery, Rhino. It was caustic. It was bitter. It seemed full of anger. And that squinting, (laughs) that yelling... 
I think that bothers me more than anything. I'm looking at a photo of Bunny Sanders and Chuck Schumer. Bernie with his mask. And his mask on! Oh, the ultimate virtue signaling garbage. <laughs> Unbelievable. But I think that bothers me more than anything. A, a president, in my view, should be the country's top cheerleader. It should be a time where you project to the country optimism and goodness and, uh, I guess, just some degree of positivity, at least some degree of it. But I didn't get that. It was just constant blasting and trashing and excoriating and denigrating the private sector. And I know folks that tune in here know that is, that is one pet peeve I have. It's a, it's a big issue to me. I, I just don't agree with the government intruding on the private sector like that. And what I got was those folks that, you know, make all that stuff we need to live, they're evil and wicked, and we, the almighty, all-powerful, altruistic, infallible government, are going to fix that for you. That's what I got out of it. Perhaps one of the most shocking moments, and I don't know if we've got any sound queued up yet on it, but he was discussing the oil and gas industry. You got it? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade, and that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Oh. Production. What clued you in there? <laughs> we're going to need it for at least another decade. And so what he was discussing is his frustration with the big players in the oil and gas industry. They made record profits. We can't have that. Profit? Oh, that makes me so mad. We should celebrate that. Success is good. Profit is good. Did they do anything illegal? I don't think so. And you know, the main driver of their profit? His stupid policies. He just doesn't get that. And you've been attacking them, have you, Mr. President? Since day one, you've been attacking that industry. It's been in your sights. And now you're mad because they're buying back their stock after their shareholders suffered through your garbage during the COVID era. We talked about that before. He won't bring that up, though. A short three years ago, they were experiencing record losses. And shareholders were getting killed. Now they're trying to reward them for hanging in there. Butt out. It's their company. Their stock. Their board. Not you. You don't run Exxon. Thank God. It'd be bankrupt. Get out of the way. Gosh, why doesn't he get that? So he comes out and says, well, we're going to need this oil for at least 10 years. You guys need to be investing more to expand supply. But you know this. A refinery is a 10-year payback. So then what? Just at the point where you start to produce a return on that investment, you're saying we're not going to be using it. 
pretty sure an elementary student could get that. They can count to ten, which most of them can, right? By what, kindergarten? They figure that out. That's just unbelievable. And, of course, you heard the rather raucous reaction. McCarthy was back there trying to keep his composure, just shaking his head. But perhaps the statement he made that got the biggest blowback from Republicans in attendance was when he once again spewed this nonsense about Republicans wanting to sunset Social Security and Medicare. They're, they're trying to leverage this politically as much as they can. And it, it, of course, is a total fallacy. And McCarthy was back there, hats off to him, saying, not true, not true. <laughs> and, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene had to say, liar! And I thought she was going to bring her balloon with her. Yeah, that she didn't have it. She had some white coat on that had a big old fluffy collar. Did you see that? But no doubt, the craziest, I'm going to call it a costume, because that's what it looked like, was Kirsten Cinema. What the heck was that she was wearing? It looked like a big yellow airplane. I think you can <laughs> redefine what a power suit is. <laughs> I, I mean... That was an all-eyes-on-me outfit. <laughs> it made Joan Crawford's shoulder, shoulders look narrow by comparison. You know the old puffy shoulders oh, of yeah. her era? Joan Crawford, known for that, made that triangular look. Good All grief. the women on Dallas look like linebackers. <laughs> Kirsten Sinema's, the shoulders <laughs> in that dress... It, like, took the seats on either side of her. It blocked the view of whoever was sitting next to her. But it didn't look bad. No, it just was I just It crazy. was loud. It was loud, yeah. You could definitely pick that one out. And she got just excoriated in the Twitterverse as well. You knew it would draw that kind of reaction. But it got attention. It's a dopamine, isn't it? That's, oh, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Gosh, that was just so crazy, though, for him to to blast the private sector. And then the junk fee tirade he went on. <laughs> that was ridiculous. They're charging resort fees, and it's not even a resort. I think he was trying to be funny with that, but it wasn't. Well, the, the deal with humor is it requires a certain timing yeah. that Biden does not have, apparently, anymore. Him just babbling and bumbling and reading through applause breaks. and is, He cannot give a speech to save his life anymore. It's terrible. The delivery is terrible. What's that? Uh, somebody, Walter? That's right. The ventriloquist with the dummy Walter. That's what he looked like. <laughs> We're going to step aside for a break. We got Kel Smith, executive director of the Mississippi Community College Board at 1105. Public Service Commissioner for the Mississippi Central District, Brent Bailey at 12.05, coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. 
Super Talk Mississippi. journey record jacket is it's got my classified documents in it (laughs) yeah baby so gosh there's just so much to cover here and by the way it was a lengthy day down there at the state capitol they were still arguing when the state of the union started yeah i left about six o'clock i got down there 2 30 or so and i was kind of alternating between the chambers, watching the proceedings. And I left about 6 o'clock when they were in the House debating the bill that would establish the capital or expand the capital complex improvement district all the way up here to just outside our door, County Line Road. The road, the thoroughfare that forms the border between the north, uh, the north area of Hines County and the southernmost area of Madison County, all the way down there to downtown and just just south of it, establish a new judicial district, and also allow the Capitol Police to patrol it. It's Well, I think what we're seeing here in the state of Mississippi is much of what we've seen on the national stage, which is that everything seems to be distilled down to race. And that's sad. Because while I certainly acknowledge that there is an element of racism in our state, as there is in every other state, every other nation. That doesn't make it right. That certainly doesn't justify it. But it does speak to reality. I also believe the reality is, as we've said many times on the program, that we, our state enjoys perhaps more racial harmony than any of the any of the others i maintain that's because we have the least delta between the races we don't have a, a significant dominant component of any race representing our our total population 60 40 or so right in that range i don't think there's another state where the numbers are that close. The composition comes in with such a small difference between the two. And I believe that essentially forced us to learn how to live together, coexist. Again, that's not trying to ignore issues. Sure, of course. Got to keep working on them. No doubt. 
But you can't attribute every single disparity, every single societal problem to that exclusively. I don't think that's fair either. It, it begins to... Especially when the argument leading up to this has been it's racism that compelled the state to not do anything. Right. And now that the state's doing something, it's racism? It's racism. So I was in the House gallery for a while during the... There's two bills, of course, that are controversial. One is this <laughs> crazy notion that billing for water services should be determined based on the property value being served, serviced with water. And there was a bill to prohibit that, of course, very controversial. And then the other one, and there's another one that would have the state assume control of the city's water system. And then, of course, the other big one, the expansion of the Capital Complex Improvement District. Well, I was in the gallery in the House with some other folks that obviously were interested in the deliberations and the debate. And that would be in the South Gallery. In the North Gallery, looking out and down to the House floor, I noticed seating, seated the mayor of the city of Jackson and what looked like some, uh, perhaps some colleagues, some contemporaries maybe. I'm not sure exactly who was there. I did notice... His entourage. Yeah. I was going to stay away from that word, but that's probably fitting and descriptive and accurate. I did notice seated just to his left did appear to be a police officer. I just could notice a, had a jacket on, was not a uniformed police officer, perhaps a detective that had a jacket on that I could just saw a, a badge. Just that, uh, not, not a, a physical badge, but one drawn in, screen printed, I guess, onto what looked like a windbreaker style jacket. That was noticeable. You can't yeah. miss the star, the badge, the outline there in yellow on a blue background jacket. And that's fine. He's the, he's the mayor. But not, didn't see a lot of reaction, not a lot of emotion coming from that group while the debate was occurring. But again, I just say that it's, it's really a challenge to effectively address issues and conditions and move forward when every debate seems to be, again, just distilled down to race and racism. Well, it's pretty much a dead giveaway at this point that there's no longer a viable logical argument. Facts can't be used, so you have to resort to feelings and division and political pandering. And I think the main takeaway I have here from this is that we've, we've talked extensively about that very scenario and those dynamics at the national level and shared countless stories of that in the public sector, the private sector, 
just society in general, certainly the education environment where it's prevalent and pervasive. But now we, we're witnessing it in our state and in our state government. And I guess it could be argued that these bills, these specifically, these measures have spurred that. And it's it's a little disheartening to see because I don't think we're going to properly address the issue. I will also so say this as amendments were being offered. Amendments offered by Representative Robert Johnson, the minority leader in the House, on our program yesterday. We spoke about that quite a bit. You can tell that he's very passionate about this topic and this issue. But he offered some amendments. I don't remember the number. And I've witnessed um, votes before, of course, many in the House. Um, oral voice votes. It was loud, both sides, the yays and the nays. I mean, it hurt my ears. They were screaming on both sides, both the yay group and the nay group. Down partisan lines, of course, for the most part. There may have been an exception. It, you know, it's flashed on the screen pretty quick, and I'm looking at it. I, d- I didn't take photos of it or commit it to memory, and I haven't reviewed it. But in general, it, it, as expected. But it was, it was just weird, I guess, to me, in this, this hall, in this body, in this venue, how strong the feelings are on both sides of this issue to the point that. When the vote is cast, the oral vote, I mean, they're yelling, yelling to see who can, of course, be louder than the other, and you're going to get an individual roll, not a roll call vote, but an individual vote electronic anyhow, but uh, the voice vote was... I just, I don't know why that just kind of stuck with me last night, having witnessed that. Um, it was almost a soft form of conflict, if that makes any sense. Hmm. We're coming right back on Middays. Kel Smith, Executive Director of Mississippi Community College at 1105, and Brent Bailey, our Public Service Commissioner in the Central District at 1205. <laughs> Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
back, everyone. Middays, we are in the Element Well studio. So it was... Yeah, so the voice vote. Uh, maybe I'm making too big a deal of that. I don't know. I mean, it, it makes sense that you would consider it a, a mild form of conflict, because if you look at historically, the making of laws has risen to fisticuffs and even... <laughs> firearms violence on the floors of respective houses and senates across the country. Yeah. Now, it's been a minute since that happened, but it's still the same process for making the laws, essentially. And in other nations, it it gets fairly brutal. Oh, yeah. I mean, it can get wild. And I'm not suggesting it was even remotely close to that. Please don't misunderstand me. I was just struck by the decibel level of the voice votes. Both sides here, and it was. I mean, it's like going to kids' camp. All right, the right side of the ca- the thing was all going to scream when I hold up this hand, and the left side of the the auditorium is going to scream when I hold up this hand. All right, right side go, woo, and they'll scream at the top of the. All right, left side go, woo. Is, you're trying to outwoo the other one. Yeah, and y- your point is spot on. Is is that you? you it seems. A bit of a, a conflict and certainly borderline hypocritical to advance this narrative that we've just been abandoned here, nobody would help, they ignored us. And then action is taken to provide some relief, some solution, and now it's racist. So it's racist when you don't, it's racist when you do. It's what? almost like that word has lost its meaning when a politician says it. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, honestly, that we've gotten to that point because it, it takes away, it detracts from working to truly resolve an issue. Because you, you've got to inject that into everything now. And that's... Not a good place, I think, for meaningful debate and development development of solutions. That's just not good for that. But that's exactly what was going on. And there's reports today in local media observing the same. They were, of course, all there, as they always are. It's their job. And they observed the same. And I guess I would I would say, okay, well, why didn't you offer some legislation to address this issue? Is it because you're intimidated? You you're fearful of retribution from the mayor, perhaps? Because in my view, not offering something is essentially declaring that there's not a problem. Look no further than Joe's speech last night. Does anybody disagree that the border is a humongous problem? He, like, had three statements about it. And he didn't say anything acknowledging or recognizing that there is presently a problem at the border. He just said Republicans got to get on board with comprehensive immigration reform, which is just code for... Let's create an immediate and easy path to citizenship for everybody that comes here. Yet, interview after interview with the people that cross over illegally say, yeah, 
President Biden said, come on in. I don't think I'm misrepresenting that whatsoever. But how could such a major issue get no attention in the speech? Like it's not even happening. He focused way more on economic issues. And I wish we could get to that point where we were able to spend most of our governing cycles on that. We can't because we're not upholding the law to, to secure our borders, so we have to deal with that. And we have so many of these other cultural issues because we have a government that wants to dictate what society should look like from a social perspective. And so we have to concern ourselves with that. But he did focus a lot on economic matters. One of the things he talked about was enhancing the state of health equity. And he again discussed this issue of insulin, capping insulin costs for seniors. He called on the government to take that further, to cap the cost of insulin for everybody. He absolutely excoriated the pharmaceutical industry, yet he took credit for his handling of COVID and, and specifically about use of vaccines and va the vaccine rollout, yet that comes from the people that he's attacking, the pharmaceutical companies. There's, there's so many contradictions embedded in this, what, hour-and-a-half speech. It's incredible. So, the insulin, I know you and I have both researched this issue. I don't think he was fully honest about, I know that's shocking, about that situation. But he, he paints the picture of what it cost, and I'm interested to hear from people. I've read reports that seem to conflict about the cost of insulin. What, what is it you know about that? I mean, he's capping at $35 for seniors. Which Medicare. would basically be cheaper for the majority of insulins, but there are insulin, name brand insulins, that you can get for, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks. 20 of vial. I mean, yeah, there's, I want to say it's Novelin that you can get for $20, $25. But then you have other insulins that are newer mm -hmm. that cost upwards of $600, $700. In reality, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it, insulin is insulin. You're going to have some types of insulin that work better than others, but to act like every single insulin out there is $1,000 a month to use is just, it's a falsehood. It, it's not true. You, there, you can go to Walmart right now and get insulin for 20 30 bucks. That's what I thought. It, it's not this insane, overburdensome thing unless you're being forced to use a specialized insulin or one of the newer insulins. But that's something you and your doctor should talk about, and it shouldn't be something the government gets involved in. Exactly. And I think that's the point, because the concern, of course, is always the slippery slope. Today it's insulin, what's next? 
Maybe it's your business that's next, your product or service, and the government just decides you charge too much for it, and they seek to pass a law that puts a price cap on it. Why do we get there? How do we get here? And I just wonder how much of this is a result of various government regulations and policies that make it extremely difficult, if not just prohibitive, such a high barrier to entry that we don't, we're not able to increase the supply. Now, Mark Cuban is working on that, by the way. So is Amazon. They're, they're seeing an opening. That's the way markets work. And so, okay, you cap insulin. My guess is that the pharmaceutical companies just kind of rearrange their price model and their formularies, and they figure out some other way. That's the way it works. But when government gets involved and starts dictating pricing of specific products like that, I don't know that anything good comes of that. I, don't I mean, remove the, the health care part of it, because that gets a lot of people's hackles up. Look at it from a, a consumer standpoint of like a, a car. We talk about cars a lot on here. Yeah. This would be the same as the government basing all of their data on the prices of Cadillacs. Nobody can afford Cadillacs, except there's all these other vehicles out there that are cheaper, and there are some that are more expensive. Right. I think what bothers me is that there's never any discussion, never any ideas floated that would increase supply. It's always about recutting an existing pie. And in this case, it's insulin. We're not really going to talk about anything that might boost the supply of insulin and thus moderate the cost, tame the cost. No, we're just going to order the makers of it to sell it at a certain price. What business is next? Increasing supply is the route to bring the price down. That is the proper approach. No interest in that in this government. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. With you on middays at Super Talk Mississippi. Brent from Mendenhall says, I would like to know if the Jackson mayor will be held accountable for the racist remarks he said. Enough of his antics. Yeah, I know that was uh was published today. I'd have to look up what he, exactly he said there, Rhino. I just kind of scanned the uh the article where there were certainly accusations from 
the mayor of racism. Yeah, let's see if we can find exactly what he said. We'll keep looking on that. Oh, yeah, he said that... Um, well, this was last week. He said it reminds me of apartheid. Remember that? Oh, yeah. So I don't know if there have been any new comments from the mayor from, uh, or I should say, in the wake of the debate on this bill yesterday in the House. It was being presented by, of course, Representative Trey Lamar from Senatobia. Uh, Barbara Blackman spoke against the the bill and the amendments. Uh, Senator Edward Blackman says this is a land grab has nothing to do with crime. Well, I don't know about that. It's a bit of an exaggeration at best. Yeah. So, again, I'd say, well, what's your plan? What's your solution here? I would just ask, how is policing a land grab? Yeah, I don't, I don't see that that's the case. Ownership here. of the land, stewardship of the land, ownership of the building, stewardship of the building. None of that changes hands. Nothing changed there, right. This is really just an effort to increase the security and decrease the crime of this area of the town. It's harming the town, its people, the state. This is just an effort to address that, fix that problem. Simple as that. I don't, there's no land grab going in here. Yeah, the, the other comment that was made by Representative Trey Lamar was uh, in response to an amendment that was proposed by Representative Robert Johnson, of course, on the program yesterday. This is one of the those that failed, that got the very loud voice vote. Would have required that the judges appointed to this new court, this new judicial district, would be residents of Hines County. Residents of Hines County. And Representative Lamar responded, if we're going to make an additional court in the city of Jackson, do we not want our best and brightest sitting in judgment, whether they, that may come from Holmes County or Madison County or wherever they may be, question? Why would we limit the talent pool to here, said Representative Lamar. I agree with him on this. This, this is consistent with, gosh, so much of what we've discussed here where outcomes are based on all sorts of characteristics and attributes other than qualifications, experience, value, quality, and performance. Instead, they're based on, again, physical aspects of a person what you are as opposed to who you are. It's what I call the march to mediocrity. Does that mean that there aren't folks in Hines County that should not be considered, that are likely exist, who are capable? 
qualified? Would make good judges? No. It just means why limit it to just that? We do want the best. I agree with Representative Lamar in that respect. If they are available in Hines County, great. If they're not, okay. The process worked, and it resulted in selecting the best. What'd you say? Oh, I found what he said, and it's dumber than you can imagine. Who's that, the mayor? Yeah. Go we'll ahead. Have, we'll have to get to it in a Okay. Bit. Okay. Well, I agree with Representative Lamar in this case, and I don't believe that it should just be restricted to Heinz County. What's the purpose of that? What does that achieve? That's like affirmative action for judges. It's what it is. No, that's not who you want on the bench. You do want the best. If they don't exist in Hines County, well, then you've got a large talent pool from which to pick to ensure that you get quality, capable, experienced people on the bench. That's what we want. Impartial. Coming right back with Kel Smith, the executive director of the Mississippi Community College Board. The news coming your way first in the Element Well Studios. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi on this hump day. Joining us now is Kel Smith, Executive Director of the Mississippi Community College Board. Kel, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Hey, Gerard, absolutely. Thanks for having me out. All right, so this is a new role for you. It absolutely is. I've I've been with the agency since May of 2008, uh, handling different roles and capacities. And a few weeks ago, the the board uh, named me full-time executive director. I've been interim since July of 2021. So I'm uh, humbled and and honored by the confidence the board has shown in me by giving me this opportunity. Congratulations. That is is awesome. So I, I saw you at the Capitol yesterday. I know it's a big week at the Capitol, of course, getting these... These bills uh, out of committees and on the floor and voted, so forth. They were up there for a while last night. We've been talking about yeah, yeah. it. What are you What are you watching? So we've got a couple of bills out there that that we're highly interested in. One is a, a dual credit scholarship bill. Uh, for in case you're not aware, dual credit is the program that allows high school students to simultaneously enroll at a community college in high school and earn. Uh, credit on both the secondary and post-secondary transcripts. Uh, it's, a, it's a great program. It's, it's highly successful, very popular. Uh, financially, it's an issue for the colleges. And so we, we've come together with uh, the universities and the Department of Education to try to come up with a solution that would make it uh, fair, fair for all parties involved and provide equal access to dual credit across the state. And so we're, we're pushing for a scholarship program uh, that will provide up to 15 dual credit hours for uh, students that, that would take dual credit at a community college, university, or a private college. Uh, obviously, we're highly interested in, in the financial aid redesign bills that have been introduced, and, and those uh, have the, the opportunity to, to really transform uh, 
post-secondary education uh, by, by providing additional resources to, to students uh, to attend you know, the public and private institutions. And then obviously uh, just general appropriations. We'll see how that, that shakes out in the next few weeks as well. How are they doing financially? How many do we have? Fifteen? We've got 15 community yeah. colleges across the state. Uh, you know they're they're doing well. Uh, could always use additional funds. Their their top priority this year for the the system uh, from a funding standpoint is is funds for salary improvements. Uh, they're they're are struggling with uh, recruiting and retaining qualified faculty. Uh, the last few years, the the K twelve pay raises that the legislature and the governor have approved have approved have been a challenge for the colleges because uh, the, the local school districts of which they are competing for for instructors are able in some instances to to pay more money than the than the community colleges can and so the community colleges have such a unique void in the state they fill such a unique void in the state with with adult education academic classes career tech workforce and so an issue that they have is having qualified uh, instructors, particularly on the career tech side. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the allied nursing, allied health instructors, your nursing folks who who are trained and qualified to to practice nursing in, in other health industries. But you know, if it, they they would take a significant pay cut, or they do take a significant pay pay cut to be an instructor. So uh, that that is a challenge for them for sure when it comes to not not just recruiting but retaining as well faculty. How how is the how are the curricula how are, how are they evolving, Kel? Uh, given all, all the dynamics with uh, with technology and just the needs of the workplace these days. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one thing that I'm proud of of the role that we play at the agency. We're the coordinating board for the state's 15 colleges, and we have a curriculum division. We've had it for about six or seven years now. That division works with business and industry to align curriculum with what's yeah. needed because yeah. we don't need to be teaching programs and classes and then and folks enter the workforce and what they've been taught and skills they learn don't align with what's needed by business and industry so uh, we we collaborate well with business and industry last year I think we developed uh, designed 25 career pathways uh, to make sure that that what's being taught what's being learned aligns with what's needed in business and industry because we need these folks when they graduate from a community college when they earn a certificate to be able to go into the workforce and and begin employment immediately. Hmm. You know, something that uh, impressed me when we did the show up there last year was the community university up in Starkville uh, with um, East Mississippi yep. Community College. Yep. That, Kel, just impressed me so much, and I felt like, gosh, this is a model that we need to replicate throughout the state. It absolutely is, and they, they have a beautiful, wonderful facility up there on, on Highway 82 and outside of Columbus, between, between Columbus and Starville, and it's a great example of what happens when you collaborate together with the local school districts, and you know the state provided funding to, to construct the, the facility, and so it's just a wonderful example of how we are better together, and that what I mean by that is that the high schools working with the community colleges can seamlessly get these folks you know through the educational pipeline into a high demand high skilled career and the private sector entities in the area and even outside of the area they've totally embraced this concept have they not they absolutely have and and you know some of our most of our community colleges have amazing partnerships with business and industry here here in the capital city area Heinz community college the partnership they have with KLLM uh, with the the, yeah. the truck driving right. the diesel academy on highway 49 with empire stribling you know just a great example of sometimes 
you know, the colleges may not have the financial resources uh, to, to operate these programs because they are expensive to get up and running. Uh, but by partnering with business and industry, you know, you can fill those needs and have these just really robust programs. And it's truly designed so that when a student graduates from those programs, they're ready to go to work. From day one, you're exactly right, and that's that's what we need. Like a second ago, we need these folks entering the workforce. We don't need them to get a job and then have to have some type of remedial skill training. It's our goal for them to enter the workforce from day one to be contributing members of the state's economy. So much more attractive and valuable to an employer when they know that they're hiring a person that they can place in in the work environment and be productive day one. And th- and that's why that curriculum that we talk about, we, we need to make sure that what we're offering aligns with what's needed. Yeah. You know, the business industry, they're the ones out in, in the field. They're the ones that are hiring these folks. And so we need to make sure what's being taught and learned is what is needed. Yeah. Now, how much do you collaborate? You touched on it a bit. With high schools, you think about the, the various parties with which and with whom you integrate the high schools, the private sector, the four-year colleges. How much do you guys work together? Absolutely. We work incredibly closely with the universities. Um, We have uh, uh, something we're particularly proud of, our articulation agreement. That's for the academic side of the house. with all eight public universities. What that means, if you graduate with an Associate of Arts degree, you can seamlessly transfer to a university and not lose credit. You know, back several years ago before we had the articulation agreement in place, you'd have kids that would graduate with an AA, transfer to university, and lose hours. Well, that's not happening anymore. Uh, that, that serves two purposes. One, it shortens the length of time they're at a university. And number two, it reduces the cost. Uh, you know, the colleges also have uh, articulation agreements with some universities out of state. I know Gulf Coast Community College, I think, has some in place with the University of South Alabama. Uh, we, we work very closely to make sure that, that our classes align with what the university is looking for. And so, uh, yeah, that's another partner that we have in, in the whole you know, ecosystem of post-secondary education. Yeah. Looking in the crystal ball here, Kel, to the extent you can, where, where do you see higher ed going? You know, we we have to evolve for sure. Uh, You know, career tech is such an incredibly important piece of the state's economy, and that's a a unique niche that the community colleges offer. Mm -hmm. Right now, about 20% of our overall headcount enrollment is career and technical education. You know, I think that 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 percent needs to, to... increase so that we can get folks entering the workforce. Uh, we talked about earlier the delivery of, of higher educational opportunities. We have the virtual community college that allows folks to take uh, classes at their at their pace, at their leisure, if you will. If you're not able to physically attend a, a, a classroom, the virtual community college is set up that allows you to to take classes at your at your pace, if you will, still have access to resources, libraries and instructors. Uh, when, when COVID hit in March of 2020, uh, our folks put in a lot of time and effort to seamlessly transition that semester to uh, the online tool. And so if it weren't for the online learning, uh, we really would have been up a creek. And so that's just it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you're more well-versed in technology than I ever will be, but it's incredible, the stuff that's going on. You know, what always astonishes me when I think back on it, when, when we really brought uh, web conferencing uh, to the state. We were one of the first WebEx partners. They invented that. And yeah. that was back in like 2004. Yeah. And we couldn't get people to use it. Yeah. Yeah. They said, no, I don't want to do that kind of stuff. I want to see people. And then 
Now, everybody uses it virtually every day. That's exactly right. But yeah. It doesn't replace the face-to-face -face interaction. Right. But if you need just to hop on a quick That's Zoom, right. we've got our folks scattered across the state. So it's a lot more convenient for quick meetings and allows you to, to very powerful tool. save time and money. Yeah, it, it is awesome. And it's just amazing how that that's a sort of transition to that, that level of acceptance and adoption. But we, we, we were pushing it back then and it was it was a little bit tougher sale. That's exactly right. Yep. Kel, appreciate you coming in. Great update yeah. and uh, great job. All the community colleges, you and I were talking, had the pleasure and privilege of working with them quite a bit. They're fantastic institutions and they do a great job. They appreciate really it. do. Thanks for everything you do, Gerard. You got it. Kel Smith, Executive Director of the Mississippi Community College Board, has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back. Brent Bailey in the Element Well Studios. He's the Public Service Commissioner for Mississippi Central District at 1205. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Uh You and me, baby, no one else we could trust We'll say nothing to no one, know how we bust And never crack a smile or flinch or cry for nobody With you in the Element Well Studios, it is middays. So we had somebody ask about the the Match Five Mississippi Lottery game. That is a state drawdown game, and that got on up there. Oh yeah, so, it was almost. I think it was actually nine hundred thousand dollars on the line for the drawing last night. Yeah. I couldn't pass up that opportunity. I had to donate to the Roads and Bridges Fund, and I bought two tickets <laughs> with a multiplier. It cost me six bucks, and I matched the same number, one number only, on both tickets. Yeah. I had 33 on both tickets. So you just got one. What That doesn't win you anything. That doesn't win yeah. diddly squat. If, yeah. I had, if I had managed to get two, I would have got a free ticket. Two so I could have played a, again. Two at a minimum, and Correct. then three, four, five. Two gets you free ticket? Yeah, if you uh, for the match five, if you match two numbers to the winning numbers, then you get a free ticket unless you played the multiplier, which the multiplier, you just pay an extra dollar, and then it randomly assigns you a multiplier. It could be two, four, yeah. six, eight, I think, is the highest it goes. If you have a multiplier applied and you match two numbers, you get that number of free tickets. Just say you have like a four times multiplier, you get two numbers, you get four free tickets. 35,444 matched two of the five, thus received tickets. So it's a whole bunch of free tickets for a chance to win now $50,000 as it starts over. 3,700 matched three of the five, 98 four of the five numbers drawn, and one lucky winner matched all five. So they don't have to share it. That's exactly right. And that's all that would mean if you had multiple tickets that matched all five or uh, which is the case of the four or five, three or five, two or five. Doesn't right. mean that, but in the case it's only of on the, the jackpot, you got to split it. Right, that's right. 
matching the five of five would be the exact same numbers on the tickets, and thus they share in the jackpot. Only one soul for this one. That's pretty cool. By the way, folks, if you do play, we hope you do. We encourage you to play responsibly, of course. Uh, yeah, it was between buying two tickets to the match five last night or two candy bars. I figured I've had enough <laughs> candy bars I would try for almost a million dollars. I found that a really easy way to keep up with uh, uh, with the, the drawings and just the status and the jackpot values and so forth, there's a, an app, very simple to use, really one screen called Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. Download that guy, and you can tell it what state oh, yeah. you want to see the results for, and... And That's the one that will send you push notifications, right? It will if you select them. So you, you can – the first thing you see is the Mega Millions and Powerball, and then the drawdown games for the specific state that you have selected, starting with the, the biggest in terms of the jackpot sizes on down, the match five, cash four, and then, of course, there's a midday, evening, and a, then there's a cash three, midday and evening, and then a cash pop midday, evening. Those are all the state draw games, in addition to the multi-state draw games of Mega Millions and Powerball. It's a real nice interface. It's a simple uh, tool to use to keep up with the various drawings and the jackpot sizes and the next date and time of the drawings. Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. I found that one to be the most useful for that purpose. So, just got a text from the communications director at the Mississippi Lottery that says, that's what happened in 2021. Two people split a $665,000 jackpot. So that's a pretty good day, I'd say. Still going home with six figures. Exactly. Pretty cool. On the C Spire text line, there's more racism outside of Mississippi than in Mississippi, says k Dog from Wiggins. Speaking of racism. Yeah, tell us what happened with the we, mayor. We did tease this. Yeah. So after the marathon session in the House last night where the debate was over the state taking over part of Jackson's policing and water and all that fun stuff, all these different debates going on with all these controversial issues... Mayor Chokwe Antar Lumumba decided he would say one of the dumbest things I've heard him say yet, which is saying something. He accused the legislators that voted for the bill of coming to the session half-dressed, quote, because they forgot to wear their hoods, end quote. That's despicable, Mayor. That's despicable. It's insidious. It's unacceptable. You should step down for saying something like that. And it's once again, it detracts from the core issue. The water system is broken. The crime is rampant. The infrastructure is crumbling. Your tax base is eroding. What else can I say about it? That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? When you think about a municipal government, 
And that's what you, that's how you address it? Is just with incendiary racist remarks? It's what they are. That's, that's a low blow there, man. Where's your plan, sir? Doesn't have one. Hadn't had one. So the plan is just to... Keep on keeping on. Project. Keep on drinking. Kick the can down the road. Hmm. Because it's not going to cost them an election. No, I know. And and I, I'm sitting here thinking, it starts at the top in this country. That's exactly what's going on here, in my view. We've got the highest level elected leader in the nation who spews that kind of nonsensible rhetoric regularly. Extreme MAGA. Don't forget, back in the fall, the speech with the Marines flanking in the background with that satanic-looking set. Remember that? The red? Kind of bathed Joe in that red tone? And all he did was attack the right. That entire speech was nothing but an assault on conservative values. And I think in very strong terms, denouncing any form of voter ID and elections control to ensure fair, accurate, transparent elections, any attempt to do so, they consider the old default racist. Jim Crow laws. Well, I don't think that happened in Jackson. They got who they voted for. But it ain't working out too well. But every time he he speaks, including last night, he's always got to make some of those references. And And those references are always pointing fingers at those on the opposite side of the political aisle from him. And it's the old default party line racist. And that's what's happening here. So it starts at the top. Now it's matriculated down to the municipal and state levels. And it happens in all our schools. It happens in our, unfortunately, our private sector corporations. You know, try to see things clear-eyed here. I think it's inappropriate for Joe Biden, as I've said, to attack the private sector the way he does, the way he did last night. But I'm not going to shy away from calling out the private sector that have adopted this ridiculous wokeism. Woke fantasy, I believe, is what Sarah Huckabee Sanders called it in her State of the Union rebuttal. I watched that as well. It was excellent. We'll talk about that a bit. And she she made a comment that that uh, really, I think, resonates with a lot of people with respect to the contrast of philosophies and cultural views in this country. We'll talk about that when we come back. 
Pink Floyd bumping us out on middays. Stay with us. with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. them on American Bandstand when the song there, Come and Get Your Love, was popular. I think that was about 71, 72 or so. Dick Clark, he looked 13 then. He looked 13 when he was, right before he passed away. America's permanent teenager. That was fun. I missed that show. And then the song saw a resurgence in popularity after it was utilized in the soundtrack for the 2014 movie Guardians of the Galaxy. That is true. Forgot about that. And they that whole movie had a great soundtrack. Sure did. Right up there was Forrest Gump. Forrest, Forrest Gump. <laughs> so Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the youngest governor in the United States. She, of course, the daughter of former governor uh, and presidential candidate, Mike Huckabee. She shared some interesting accounts of her, her personal situation. She was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and is now deemed cancer-free. That was last year. And then her mother she shared, at the age of 20, cancer of the spine. That's a bit unusual. They didn't give her much of a chance to survive it. And more importantly, if she did, said she'd never walk again. And fortunately, neither of those predictions came true. But I thought she delivered an excellent, very short, to the point, succinct, easy to understand, very comprehensible rebuttal. But she made one statement in particular that's got the left in an uproar today. And here's what she said, quoting, The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. That about sums it up. Well, the folks over there at MSNBC, they're going nuts over that one. Now, I haven't seen the race lady's response yet. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Oh, gosh, but they said that there was little in Sanders' speech that Democrats could agree with. 
It's likely that many Democratic leaders would be quick to endorse the idea that the dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. They're not on board with that. So this came, of course, against, this is what MSNBC says, this is their perspective on it, against a backdrop in which Republican leaders are threatening to crash the U.S. economy on purpose unless their unspecified demands are met. So what that tells me is that, no, they're not interested in reining in spending whatsoever. You can't even have that conversation. And what I got last night out of the president was a series of proposals in his remarks to increase spending. Family medical leave, family leave, child tax credits, subsidies for health insurance, housing subsidies and credits, teacher pay raises. I mean, just a long list of government programs that they want to expand, implement or expand. Just more spending. No, nothing whatsoever about the debt, about the state of the budget and the $1.4 trillion deficit we're going to produce this year, other than bragging about the fact that it's not 2.8, which it was in his first year in office. He, he of course, applauds himself for reducing it and not uh, uh, informing that that's simply because he didn't make the same mistake in the second year of his term, which was a $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that produced such a huge deficit in his first year. It's just incredible. So I heard a lot of discussion in the speech about more spending. And, of course, more taxes. Let's quadruple the stock buyback rate. And can you believe it, folks, is what he's saying. Folks, can you believe it? Fifty of the largest corporations in this country made $40 billion of profit. They paid zero income taxes. Because their $40 billion of profit was not their profit from a, a calculation from a, uh, for tax purposes perspective. He fails to point that out. He's looking at their book profit, not their tax profit. And there are some reconciling items. We've, we've talked about that. Won't dig into those weeds again. But, okay, let's say that that $40 billion, which now, if, you, if, you're, if a company's income is greater than a billion, they're subject to this new 15% minimum tax. And reports show now that there's just a handful of them, of the 50 that he always references that fit into that, that category that would be ensnared by this 15% minimum tax. Let's say it's all of them, and it's $40 billion. And the corporate tax rate's 21%, so that's $8 billion. That's what, like two hours worth of spending or something like that? It's $8 billion in a $6 trillion budget. And he presents it as if, oh, this solves everything. We could have all these spending programs 
we could balance the budget, we could rein in inflation if we would just get that $8 billion, shake them down for that. It's just a lie. It's a mathematical lie. And his folks stand up. Liz Warren was just gushing when he said that. The camera panned to her. She stands up and she's clapping. Got that big old smile. It, that smile looked like that time she and her husband were sharing brewskis. Remember that? How about a beer? Thanks for coming. That's right. And did you happen to notice she had a pin on her blue suit? And it's a a crayon. What's that about? It's like a, a red or a purple crayon. You know, like the ones you used when you were a kid, oh, yeah. the Crayola crayon. That's what she had on. What the heck's that? Yeah, I, I didn't dig into any of the symbolism of lapels last night after I saw that there were some that just had the word abortion. Yes, uh, a couple, yeah, just spelled out. Like a stenciled, jewel-type abortion, right, pin on their lapel or just above their uh, sport coat pocket or their suit pocket. But what about crazy um, Ed Markey? Do you see that one? No. Oh, yeah. This guy's sick. He had a I heart abortion pen. As Joe would say, no joke. He did. He wore. Oh yeah, with a little heart in the yes. O for abortion. Yes. These people are nuts. Well, these are the same people that would tell you to your face that abortion is not celebrated. It's a difficult decision that women have to make. Yet he's sporting this pin at the State of the Union address. He said, uh, "I'm wearing my abortion pin from Planned Parenthood Federation of America." To tonight's State of the Union address, abortion is essential health care, and we need to codify this right. The president, of course, did announce during his State of the Union speech, if, if you're thinking about passing a bill in the Congress that would prohibit abortion, I will veto it. Made that very clear. That's what we got. So the essence is we're going to create all these new welfare programs. We're going to tax the life out of corporations and, and uh, billionaires. He also called for that. Did you see Liz Warren? I thought she was going to float to the top of the Capitol in the chamber there when he talked about passing, enacting a billionaire's tax. She was gushing. I mean, smile ear to ear. Yeah. He also said there are a thousand. According to the latest Forbes list, which is two months old, it's probably the most reliable source they have been for decades measuring wealth in this country of individuals. They say there's 750. No big deal. He said it was a thousand. They're 2,200 and change worldwide. Why are we attacking them? Well, I don't get that in, about this, this party and this president. As if they're just the bane of society, evil, wicked people, because they succeeded by producing value for people. Coming right back here on Middays. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get up! 
on Super Talk Mississippi. I got to get to some text here. I apologize, folks. I've been rambling on and a little delinquent at getting to our text. Lots of engagement. Appreciate that. One thing I'll say before I get to those is, have you noticed that every time he calls for the wealthy or corporations to pay more taxes, of course, he always describes it so, so virtuously, pay their fair share. He always inserts the word begin to pay their fair share, meaning we're not done after we take most of what you earn. We're just beginning. Well, that's about the only thing he said clearly all night was about seven times he said, let's finish the job. He did say that. And that's setting up, of course, for his 2024 run. No joke. <laughs> ben from Madison says the State of the Union was difficult to get through. I don't get the hate of the free market that seems to dominate in dim circles. You know, I, I've tried to figure that out as well, Ben, and I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's jealousy. I, I can't attribute it to anything else that's logical. They cannot succeed in a real, true market-based economy. Many have, I, I understand, but there are a lot of these folks that are, I guess, uh, especially vociferous about uh, their dislike of free markets and success and profit. It's They see government as their tool to sort of accomplish what truly successful people can do in a market where consumers make the choice. The market dictates your success. Not you get elected and you just make laws. So it's their it's their way of 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 kind of um, satisfying that urge, perhaps, to be uh, a, a business executive and, and managing a, a big organization. So they just take it upon themselves in government to assert that it's just a theory. You you may have some other views on that. And I I get it, but it just feels like it. I can control those companies. I, I know I couldn't do it if I had, I had to do it out there in the real free market, but now that I'm sitting here in Congress or in the White House, I can just assume control. It's, it's uh, disgusting. Gary from Tishomingo says, I got mad. I didn't watch it. Where does he think the plastic rubber and vinyl for his EVs are going to come from? Referring to, hey, we're going to need oil for at least 10 more years. What a dumb thing that was to say. Of course, we get the obligatory anti-Trump comment here. Better than listening to lying Trump. We don't have enough time to discuss and review all the lies that Joe Biden spewed. One of them was, of course, that the billionaires pay a lower tax rate than teachers. And once again, I'll point out that some of that fuzzy math He's taking into consideration unrealized gains, meaning just paper gains of assets that they owe that they've not disposed of. Therefore, it is not they've not triggered any tax liability. But if you bought a stock for ten dollars today, and by the end of the year it's worth fifteen, but you haven't sold it, that's how he's computing. Imputing is really what he's doing 
this effective tax rate. Well, if they would have sold it, right, that's what he's, that's what he's doing there. So he's taking the tax rate based on their true income and applying it to their unrealized income. Well, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's, if somebody came to your house and said, look, I checked your financial statements, your, your 401k plan, it went up. We hadn't seen that in a while, but that would be the IRS saying, you've got to pay some tax on the increase in value of your 401k plan. Well, I hadn't taken any money out of it. Sorry, you still got to pay. That's what he's saying, folks. I hope that maybe clarified what otherwise, I apologize, was a bit of a convoluted um, explanation. But that's what he's saying. That's how he's coming up with those numbers. That's just disingenuous. The Democrats look like a bunch of trained seals jumping up and clapping on cue last night, says Chris and Tupelo. I noticed that as well, but Liz Warren really got me all fired up when he was discussing increasing taxes. She was just giddy about it. There's more racism. Oh, we already got that one. Thank you. Boy, Jill and Kamala's husband are completely over worrying about COVID. Smack her right on the lips with a level of comfort that begs the question, why are they so comfortable kissing on the lips? It, it was a little stomach-turning, a little nauseating, wasn't it? I didn't realize the White House was decorated with pineapples. <laughs> I'll let you later explain. what I know what you mean by that. If you know, you know. <laughs> exactly. We'll just leave it at that. Jamie McGee says, Mr. Gerard, do you think that the $600 million that, that would be the money going to Jackson from the federal government from the omnibus spending bill recently enacted has something to do with the state wanting to take over now? I thought that as well, Jamie. I honestly think this was in the works before that decision was made. There's no doubt that addressing the issues of Jackson is easier when you got money. And that is the amount that this third-party EPA person, I did ask that question of some folks in the legislature yesterday, that's the amount they came up with. That's where that figure came from that, that said they needed for the water system. Not the sewer, just the water system, which sounded like a lot of money to me. Brett Bailey, the Public Service Commissioner in the Element Well Studios, next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Hour three of middays from the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, on this hump day. Right in the middle of the old week. Mm-hmm. We've got joining us now in the Element Well Studios, the Public Service Commissioner for Mississippi's Central District, Brent Bailey. Brent, good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. As always, y'all got the tunes going and yep. multitasking, and uh, <laughs> you guys got it going on here in the studios. There's a bunch going on, as you can imagine, right now. So, <laughs> no, we're uh, we're having fun with it. Though. We appreciate you coming in. Wanted yes. to get an update uh, from your office. Any particular bills that you're tracking? 
Well, you know, there, there's a lot of things we have going on in office. We're certainly keeping watch of uh, some of the issues that are going on at the legislature, how that impact, impact consumers, certain utilities, their customers, and, of course, even the PSC itself, our operations, our statutory uh, responsibilities, and what that means in, in the long run, what that means for rate impacts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's always some things that we have on mind. We certainly want to uh, help ensure that um, energy efficiency issues are front and center for consumers and the program that are offered them through technical and financial support to be as efficient and as conservative as we can with um, our energy resources out there. They're precious. They're critical uh, to the future of the state, and we want to extend those and do that in a way that uh, helps consumers manage their bills and keep more money in their pocket. So we're always watching those. Um, we certainly um, – there's another one um, dealing with transmission expansion here in the state. And we're, there, there's different versions in the House and Senate and certainly watching what that means to – our regulatory responsibilities and where that falls and what that means for uh, any type of private or financial support from investors, uh, those that want to help provide transmission services in the state. Uh, we want to make sure that that um, you know, is, is can, can hopefully be a competitive market to bring the, the best, most affordable, cost-effective uh, transmission resources in the state. But also, you know, make sure that uh, we're not stifling competition while at the same time uh, helping helping bring forth and, and support this expansion of a, a critical infrastructure at, and at times could be a, um, a need as we want to address any type of congestion or serve various load pockets um, to help facilitate any type of independent power producer distributed generation going forward. And uh, I think we have opportunities to expand the generation uh, portfolio in the state. Uh, we got to make sure that we can effectively and, and uh, efficiently help provide the transmission that's needed in those areas to support that economic development, that economic investment, particularly in rural areas. What does present law say, Commissioner, about uh, allowing uh, just a private entity to construct some sort of transmission infrastructure, electric. Well, yeah, well, we can. That can happen now, and there's actually filings in front of the commission to you know that that is in pursuit of that, and we do have certain uh, responsibilities regarding reliability, um, state siting, um, the impact on systems, and analyzing that, and um, you know evaluating the overall effectiveness and the, um, the the benefits that creates for that system for the state. Um, as well as the transmission of, of affordable energy out of the state to those markets as needed, and also affordable energy into the state at times as needed here. Um, you know, that there's questions about if, if this legislation goes through, how that impacts, impacts us, and what does it mean exactly as, as sort of kind of a rate review of that or rate regulation of an infrastructure system that does not generate kilowatt hours but mm -hmm. transmits that. Um, certainly have some questions there over what that looks like from the PSC perspective. I think more specifically, would they be subject to the regulatory authority and control of the Public Service Commission? They already are to a certain extent through our certificate of need process, um, but um, our certificate of public convenience and necessity is, is basically what that is, our CPCM process, but not regulated per a rate component. Okay. Because they're you know, a transmission, a private transmission-owned system is not, quote-unquote, a public utility as defined by law, where then we have that certain um, responsibilities. But if an entity wanted to 
install transmission lines. I mean, the poles, the cables, they the, could, they the other could. infrastructure. But do they have to get permission from your organization to do so? They do. Anything that interconnects into the overall grid structure, okay. distribution, transmission system, yes, they do um, okay. require that type. All of right. Thing. So I think there's also a proposal, maybe a measure, if I'm not mistaken, that would deal more specifically with electric vehicle charging stations and powering those. Yeah, that's something that um, we feel there needed to be some type of legislative uh, solution to that due to the uncertainty of who has that power to offer for retail sale of electricity beyond what's currently uh, uh, described today as a public utility having that exclusive um, jurisdiction and and. Um, um, through the the certificated areas they serve, their service territory, they're the only ones allowed by law to currently sell energy at a retail rate. So in the state of Mississippi, currently, if you plan to charge an electric vehicle somewhere, you you buy blocks of time. Now, how much power you get in that block of time is is certainly um, it, it's not universal because the type of charger, the the level of um, system you're connected to, how the vehicle receives that. Um, and other factors that they go in there based on whether it's a two-plug, four-plug, and how that power is distributed amongst the plugs, whether okay. one vehicle's there or four vehicles there. So at least if you can get it on a per-kilowatt basis and allow non-public utilities also to sell that, however, with certain within certain guidelines and standards and oversight to ensure the consumer is getting what they pay for. I got you. All right, what about an update on the broadband build-out? So the broadband is, um, as, as a lot of folks are, you may aware, there's, there's now an agency in the state that's certainly dedicated to that, the Office of Beam. Yep. Um, but we Sally Doty runs that. Right, stay connected mm-hmm. with them. But uh, that doesn't mean that we're not uh, continuing to be um, voice um, very high pitched advocates yep. in supporting that and, and helping um, inform where we can and educate the opportunities out there and, and hopefully. Um, direct resources or, or support the efforts of directing resources where those areas of served and unserved um, homeowners are and identifying what are these emerging technologies that potentially be in these areas we understand that, that broadband i mean uh, fiber to the home is is really that that really that desired um, technology it's going to take time we continue to remind people that um, to get these um, the, these this infrastructure out there across the countryside to that um, you know that, that person at the end of the road and it's going to take take time and, and investment and that office the office beam is I think doing a good job of, of identifying those resources that's out there leveraging those resources those monies at the local level um, and helping you know move this process forward um, so we, we can continue to, to promote the opportunities out there identify those spots there's now a mapping review going on uh, that the office of beam is trying to help promote to identify where those those weak spots are where the you know where the mapping is not correct right um so we, we're trying to help promote that as well to, to get folks engaged and more people participate in that the better data we have on those address by address areas of what is actually available to consumers all right, the no-call stuff. Yeah. Still hearing more about that. No-call, and uh, that is going to always be a challenge with the with the evolution of technology out there. These 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 scammers, these these 
fraud callers you know that's that's their business model it's what they do um and always pursuing them is a challenge they try to stay one step ahead we do our best with the resources we have internally um our dedicated staff of um those that regulate and and manage and uh, facilitate the the mississippi tele uh, telemarketer solicitation act the anti-spoofing law we do with the with the tools and resources we have we are absolutely doing everything we can uh to support those efforts and and be responsive to com- to uh, customers who provide those numbers to um you know robocalls to 10 digit texts and other um uh, other ways that they're being communicated and not desiring to receive those communications um we're trying the best we can to identify where those calls or, or texts are originating from get that information and we provide that to the attorney general's office their consumer protection division and then they have that next ability to to go forth and enforce um and and pursue whether it's uh, arrest powers um, some type of other adjudication process or whatever so you know our office we do the investigation and we take the results of that pursuit and we hand it to the, the law enforcement side we don't have arrest powers or we don't have badges or guns and that kind of stuff. So it's it's really a, a dual agency effort to undertake that. They're constantly working. We're always working, but we're <laughs> going to keep at it. And as long as we have that, that responsibility, we're going to do the absolute best we can for the consumers out there. Gotcha. Appreciate it. Public Service Commissioner of the Central District, Brent Bailey, has been our, our guest. I'm sure we'll talk some more before mm-hmm. the end of the session. See I'm sure. I'm out. sure. Thank you so much Appreciate for having you coming me here. In. Yes, you sir. Coming right back here on Middays. Please stay with us. Keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios is the Jay Giles Band with Freeze Frame Centerfold, another big hit by the Jay Giles Band. Let's see what we got here on the C Spire text line. Johnny in West Point says the Jackson mayor is the penguin and Jackson has become the Gotham. <laughs> I like that metaphor there. That's pretty good. I guess that could be an analogy. It may I could be a metaphor as well. It kind of is a, Kinda. a cross, sort of sort of a crossover. Uh, yeah, Tony in Southwest Mississippi was asking about the Lotto app. That is the right one. That that's the one I found to be the best, Tony. The one that he sent a screenshot uh, from the App Store. 
It's called Lotto Results. And it's a blue background with a, uh, a red ball in the center with the number four on the ball and then five small gray balls around the number four in the center there. Lotto Results. That's the one I found to be the easiest to use. It's just a quick little look, and boom, there's the information that you most people are seeking. The amount of the big jackpots, the multi-state games, the next drawing, the total amount in, if you take it in the form of an annuity and then the cash value if you decide on a lump sum, should you be fortunate to win the big prize. Kyle says, no mention of moving the capital. Assume we're talking about the state capital, right, Kyle? Correct. Why is moving the capital not, not ever mentioned? It's been done before. I mean, it was mentioned. There was a amendment sure was. proffered by uh, Senator Chad McMahon to move the capital from Jackson to Tupelo. Yep. Didn't, Didn't pass, go anywhere. But, uh, yeah, it's been talked about. Senator McMahon, of course, represents Tupelo. Just imagine if Tate said something like this, referring to the rather despicable statement made by the mayor of our capital city. Uh, Bob from Pontotoc says, remember, G-Man, the people voted all these people in. I, I know, Bob, and that's cause for concern at a minimum. Here's another one. Nina and Grenada. Is it neat or not? I apologize if I mispronounced it. Maybe the legislature should move the Mississippi Capitol to Madison and let Jackson live with itself in its decisions. I don't think that's going to happen. Sounds like mayor following Washington's lead, destroy America one city at a time. That's from Carol and Starkville. And so the sad thing about that, though, Carol, is they, they honestly do believe they're making things better, believe it or not. I mean, clearly in Joe Biden's nearly two-hour speech last night, he and his party, I think they're totally convinced their policies, not only enacting the policies that he's calling for, such as all these additional redistribution programs, and higher taxes, and oh my gosh, the junk fee stuff. I just couldn't believe he made that big of a deal out of junk fees and had such a, a, a lengthy uh, tirade on that. Junk fees. And that's going viral. There are videos of just the junk fee portion of the address. But they think they're they, they really believe that they paint this picture that when he took over, we were just imploding the country economically, et cetera, socially, culturally, uh, um, from a foreign affairs perspective. Just Donald Trump, he just run the place in the ditch. But here comes Joe. And by gosh, she's fixed everything. Look at how much better your life is. And by the way, because I made everything so much better, here's what I want to do. And in fact, what did you say, Rhino? Finish the job. That was a 
a refrain scattered about during the address. I think that was... Oh, yeah. Finish the job. I got that right. Huh? Yeah, finish the job. And it's just all... In fact, I'm looking at his Twitter account. It's time to finish the job. That's just everywhere. We must be the nation we've always been at our best. Optimistic, hopeful, forward-looking. It's time to finish the job. Nothing. Yeah, in his prepared remarks, he uh, had it listed to say at least 12 times. There you go. And he does that with that scowl on his face, and he yells, finish the job, be optimistic, <laughs> be hopeful. This is crazy. We are writing the next chapter in the great American story, a story of progress and resilience. He's looking through his Twitter account here. Oh, here's... Such a heartwarming photo of the president shaking hands with Vice President Kamala Harris. This was at the conclusion of the speech when he, it's customary for the president to turn around and exchange a, a greeting there and a connection, interact with the vice president, of course, and the Speaker of the House. And the tweet says, What a night! <laughs> At VP. What a night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. Goes on and on. Two years ago, our economy was reeling. Today, the nation's unemployment rate is 3.4%. And it goes back to what we discussed yesterday. His measurement of economic success is the unemployment rate, and more specifically, good-paying union manufacturing jobs. Always paints that picture that manufacturing is virtually the only meaningful measurement of the success of the economy. I'm not downplaying manufacturing as a noble and necessary industry, but to play it up such that it's it is the exclusive measurement of all economic success. Well, that's not true either. And in fact, we still are making stuff, and we still will have to make stuff. And I welcome the efforts to make stuff in this country, but fact is, if we pull a lot of that in from abroad, it's, it's a tough one because that, that may be in the best interest from a national security perspective, but it's going to cost more money. And guess why? Because of those good-paying union jobs and all the other regulatory burden that costs businesses in this country just to operate, make those products. So there's a trade-off there. Yeah, we get it on American soil, and, it, and it's produced domestically, but you're likely to pay considerably more for it. That's the trade-off. That's not making a statement in support of, of inhumane treatment to workers. Yeah, that's a problem, too, some of these countries. Slave labor. But the president never talks about that. Democrats don't. Can't say anything about China, Rhino. You know that. Just let that balloon drift all across the nation, then shoot it down after it's got all the data it needs and has transmitted it back. 
Let's finish the job on police reform, says the president, and let's ban assault weapons now! And of course, here we go. Right on cue. It comes right up in the feed. I'm scrolling the feed. Last night I spoke about building an economy for working people. Today we're doing it. Except there's 7 million people still sitting home because of your stupid helicopter money policies. They're not working people. Yeah, it's working for them. I'm headed to Wisconsin to talk about how we're creating good-paying union jobs. Do I just feel like this is a speech you want to hear in the 60s? You've said that before, I believe. He's, oh, yeah. Said, he's stuck using the same playbook he's been using <laughs> since he got started in politics. It, does he realize just how few people in this country work in manufacturing, specifically, and are in unions working in manufacturing environments? I don't think he realizes that. He doesn't have the foggiest idea. Again, I'm not saying that's not noble, good, necessary work, part of the overall economic ecosystem, but it's a big, dang, diverse economy. And in fact, I think most folks understand this. Babies born today will work jobs that haven't been invented. Haven't even been invented. You could probably say about that uh, with respect to kids in elementary school. Many in high school. It hasn't been invented yet. They just don't understand the speed at which these things change. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. things about the pandemic, obviously the worst thing was people who got sick and ultimately died as a result of contracting COVID. No doubt about that. But the economic impact that it had on the country, the world, businesses, workers, business owners, incalculable. What politicians have done, such as Joe Biden, they, they've hijacked the pandemic in such a way as to embellish their accomplishments. Rather than contrasting his performance since being in office, where we were clearly on the downside of the pandemic, they didn't really want to portray that, but it was the truth. You remember, the, the number of hospitalizations was trending down, and new cases, deaths. I mean, in all statistical categories, things were improving by quite a bit. And it wasn't too long ago, we were being told, it's dark winter coming again. Remember, we had the three different flus and 
overwhelm. Well, that didn't seem to materialize. Now, I know we're still... Well, it's because the Biden administration's full of it, and they just say whatever <laughs> they think they need to say in front of whatever crowd they're in front of. The fear-mongering hyperbole. That's how you got from the same mouth that the pandemic was over when he was touring the Ford factory. That's true. Yet, he still seeks to forgive student loans, invoking the public health emergency ordered, established, uh, because of the pandemic. So you you can't have it both ways. You, You can't impose a public health emergency on the basis of COVID and then declare it's over and take victory laps. That is obviously contradictory. But once again, his math's off. He said last night, going back to this notion of measuring economic success on the basis of good-paying union manufacturing jobs, He said that since he had been in office, he created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. But a check of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which tracks all this information, shows that while the figure is technically correct, most of that was just people going back to work after they shut everything down during the public health emergency during the, the peak period of COVID, which all occurred in 2020 before he took office. So it's disingenuous to brag about people just going back to work to do jobs they were settled in before we told them all to go home and send helicopter money to take care of them. Because that's what happened. So the real figure, if you do a a valid comparison going back to pre-COVID levels, the real figure is 214,000, not 800. Well, keep in mind that when jobs get created like that, that also includes a lot of the, a lot of the turnover and a lot of movement by workers between jobs. So that's just totally wrong. He said, of course, the CHIPS Act will create hundreds of thousands of new jobs and said that companies have announced $300 billion in investments in American manufacturing in the last two years, including a new factory in, uh, to build chips in Ohio, an Intel factory. He says that will create 10,000 jobs, 7,000 construction jobs, and 3,000 jobs once the factories are finished. But... The manufacturing sector tends to report different data. So there's just a, a, an array of inaccuracies and inconsistencies. And taking victory laps and lauding oneself for just getting the country back to where it was before the pandemic, I don't see how that is anything to write home about. And in fact, I would argue that his policies delayed that effort by spraying money out of helicopters with the first piece of legislation he signed of any consequence, that being the American Rescue Plan. I think he delayed that effort. And of course, 
fueled inflation that we're all paying for. Ray on the Coast says, begin to pay their fair share also incorrectly implies they have not been paying their fair share. Excellent point, Ray, because as it turns out, the top 1%, top 1%, shoulder 42% of the income tax burden at the federal level in this country. The bottom 50% pay 2%. How's that fair? So the top 50%, 98% of the taxes. The bottom 50%, 2% of the taxes. But that's fair? They're not paying their fair share? It's almost like they don't understand what fair share is. <laughs> or, or simple math. I don't think he... These figures, in my view, he, he should have just buried in his head. Just should be able to recall those. I mean, because I think it's such a big matter to, in government. Well, in it's, fairness, he can't recall when the Super Bowl is, so. Oh, man. It should just be entrenched in his brain along with all that other stuff. It's up there like, when are they bringing the ice cream and cookies? Blaine and Jackson says, awesome fellow, Brent Bailey. Great job. He does what he says. Blaine and Pam. I'm sure he appreciates that. Thank you, Blaine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris from Oxford says, with respect to your pineapple comment, I want to join the Swingers Club also. <laughs> Chris got it. Should we all owe taxes on money that we could have won in the lottery? Excellent point. That's essentially, it's not essentially, it is factually how Joe Biden and the Democrats are calculating this effective rate paid by billionaires that he says is 8%. He mistakenly said 3% in his economic speech a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that. And even the White House website where those speeches are archived, the text of those speeches are archived, they crossed out what he actually said, which was 3%, and uh, put 8% in brackets. They bracketed it right next to the incorrect number that he spoke, he stated. So, yeah, that, that takes into consideration unrealized gains. That's just, that fact is not getting out there. And, of course, he doesn't even have a clue what that means. And hopefully we clarified that for you today. Mailman Clayton wants to know, has the Chris McDaniel interview been rescheduled? You probably are aware, if you tuned in yesterday, the senator was scheduled to come on middays yesterday at 11.05, wasn't it? Seems like. Maybe it's 12.05. 12.05. My bad. 12.05. And uh, he, he had called our content director about 30, 40 minutes prior to say, it looks like I'm going to be stuck in the Senate uh, dealing with this bill that I feel like I need to vote for. And in fairness, it was one of the bills uh, related to the situation in Jackson. It may have been the one that would transfer control of the water system to the state. I think that's the one at the time. And so we tried to reschedule, and um, we, we received some information, some feedback from the McDaniel camp as to when he would be available, and we have offered up a date that works within his schedule, 
and we've heard nothing back yet. So where we stand right now is that it has not been rescheduled. And there's has been an offer made that uh, is within the range of dates and times that his camp says, his campaign communications folks say he would be available. So we're just waiting, and we'll keep you abreast of that. I hate that I missed the State of the Union last night. Finished watching the last hour of Patton before I remembered it was on, says Gary and Meridian. What a contrast that is! <laughs> uh, Sam from Mount Hermon is talking about Trey Lamar's uh, bill that would establish a judicial district in the part of Jackson that would be under the control of the, a separate one, I should say, under the control of the state and would allow judges to be appointed from anywhere. Wouldn't have to be necessarily in Hines County. Representative Robert Johnson offered an amendment to restrict those appointments to only residents of Hines County. Sam says that should be the goal of every mayor, to make sure their city is the best that it can make, or can be, pardon me. Agree. That's what Trey Lamar said as a justification for opposing that. Coming right back on Middays. I'm happy. Ah! It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment here. Midday Super Talk Mississippi on this. Hump day. And tomorrow, where am I going to be? Down at the uh, Ag Up event tomorrow, right? Down at For the, the Dixie National Rodeo. Yeah, down at the Trademark. And don't forget uh, country music superstar Morgan Wallen coming to Oxford. And you can register to win tickets. To uh, That would be to enjoy the concert in the Sweet Seat. Uh, sweet Seats, I should say, in the Super Talk Suite. You can register to win tickets at Exhaust Pro in Macomb, Coburn's AC Heat in Meridian, or at Weathers Auto Supply in Oxford. There are many more. Go to supertalk.fm slash Morgan Wallen to find the full list of registration locations. This ticket giveaway brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and Toyota of Brookhaven. So right on cue. I was wrong. It's the sale of champions. The Dixie National Rodeo is taking place right next oh, door. thank you. Yes, you're right. You're right. Well, they're connected now. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's pretty cool. Looking forward to that tomorrow. The president, of course, oh, geez. I, I tell you, I got it figured out. Here's what he said. He's he's speaking live somewhere, and I can't tell, right at this moment, and I can't tell where it is, but there's a bunch of workers in the background with hard hats and the uh, fluorescent vests. They've got orange long sleeve shirts on and the yellow fluorescent vests. What do they call those? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, safety vest? Yeah, safety high vest. High-vis? Yeah, yeah, high-vis, right. He says, tune in, this is five minutes ago, 
Tune in as I discuss how my economic plan is creating good-paying union jobs. I tell you, that's his standard. It's because the unions pretty much universally donate Democrat. He's got a pander. Well, um, isn't that discriminatory in that? Does he not recognize there are actually other occupations that the society needs that are available that aren't union jobs? And no disrespect to union jobs. But should yeah, but we... all those other jobs aren't organized in a way that can funnel money to his pocket. You're just being too rational about all this. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that essentially fails to recognize that it's a very diverse and inclusive economy. What happened to that concept? This, that's an exclusive statement. Because that's just a teeny tiny fraction of the workforce. Good paying union jobs. He's stuck in the 70s. Maybe the 40s. Gosh, I get mad about that because an, it's just so close-minded, so myopic. You're supposed to be the president for all the people, unite all the people. When it comes to jobs, you only talk about one sector, one occupation, one job type. Why why do we why are we always talking about education and getting people to get out of high school, graduate from high school, improve those results and move to higher ed? Most of those graduates I don't think are seeking the kind of jobs he's talking about. And once again, I'm not whatsoever dissing those jobs. I'm simply making the point that it's a gigantic, diverse economy. There are lots of jobs, thankfully. And think about how much technology and innovation has created new jobs. Jobs that a short five years ago didn't exist. Why don't we talk about that ever? And I think you're right, because they don't organize and donate to him so that he'll enrich them, which is really what it does, with government policy. Here he, he said it just 30 minutes ago. I'm sick and tired of companies breaking the law to keep workers from organizing past the PRO Act because workers have a right to form a union. Let's guarantee a living wage. And you know, statistically, so many people have moved up the economic ladder in this country. Up it. That's actually more the reason why the so-called middle class, and there is a definition mathematically of what comprises the middle class, it's because more people have moved up. That's why it shrunk, because people have moved past middle class financially. The result of the private sector expanding and growing and creating new jobs that we need to produce new products and services to improve the quality of life. This just ain't hard. But we're out of time here today. Once again, we're down at the trademark tomorrow and then back in the, the studios here on Friday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Oh, 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 oh,
Mississippi Media Production.